Well, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And it is also the first Sunday of a new church year, especially for liturgical churches. Now, for hundreds of years, Advent, or coming, has been a time of preparation and looking forward in anticipation to the second coming of the Savior King when he will make everything right. Now, while God's people are doing this, looking forward to the second coming, they also look back in gratitude for the first coming when he gave himself to save people from their sins and to commission us to complete his mission on earth, this mission of reconciliation, redemption, and renewal of life. Now, in many churches, this last Sunday of the church year is called Christ the King Sunday. It's a time of praise and thanksgiving to the King of Kings who has uh, begun his kingdom on earth. And it's also a time for the church to offer itself to him in order to do his will on earth. Okay, with this background, my Christian ethics professor taught us that all of the Christian life can be summed up in these two words, grace Gratitude. Now, first, speaking of grace, there is Christ's gracious gift of being born a human in Bethlehem. Then there is his gracious ministry that he did beginning at the age of 30 when he showed and told people all about God through miracles and his teaching. And then finally, his greatest act of love is when he, the son of man, became the perfect sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And moreover, he has given new life in him through his resurrection life. And also he has sent with his father, the Holy Spirit into his disciples after he ascended to the throne of the father. That's grace. That's just a quick summary of God's grace. And the only fitting response of those who have received His gracious gifts of forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption is a life of continual thanksgiving lived in expressing gratitude in every word and deed. God's Messiah inspires grateful thanksgiving. So, With this introduction, let's now look at the prophecy given through Isaiah and also the words of Jesus to see the gracious gift that God has given us so that we will live lives 
lives of thanksgiving in all we do and say. So, beginning with the prophecy through Isaiah, we will look at the first section of this, which can be summed up, distressed Israelite tribes living in darkness have seen a great light and they will rejoice because God has broken the burden that was on their shoulders. So this is a very famous passage often used at Christmas, but it starts out describing how distressed and afflicted Israelites walking in darkness and living in the shadow of death have seen God's glory and they have joy before him in his presence. So let's take it, um, you know, line by line, it's a short passage. It says literally because no gloom to her distress as former time when he brought the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali contempt. What's going on here? Well, the tribe of Naphtali and all these people were given names by Jacob and Genesis describes the birth of his 12 sons. It means wrestling. And they lived, you've got the Sea of Galilee, they lived on the western side all the way up to the north beyond Galilee. And then just a little bit to the southwest of them and not touching Galilee was the tribe of Zebulun. And this is when Leah had her fifth son and said, now the Lord will honor me. I'm exalted. That's my son's name. Okay. So after the 10 tribes had broken away from Judah, they fell into deep idolatry and God was angry. And he sent many of them away, most of them away, captive to Assyria in 722 BC. And and the book of Kings tells us this and gives us God's heart on this, okay? The remnant at that time was experiencing darkness and constraint, which is synonyms for gloom and distress, And all of the tribes of the north, because of their continuous idolatry and very few times of revival and repentance, they were under God's contempt, especially those the farthest away from Jerusalem, where the golden calf had been set up weighing down up by Galilee. So... Isaiah is saying, however, the distress resulting from his contempt and discipline up to the point when he wrote about 740 BC, it would be no more. Continuing with the words through Isaiah, and later he made glorious the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations. Now, it helps if you look at a Bible map for this, which which I did. The northern land on the east of the Jordan River, which may or may not have been part of the word first spoken to Abraham, it was indeed part of Israel under David's great kingdom. And God is saying to this little returning remnant from the captivity in Babylon, which was 200 years future to Isaiah, that his glory would once again fill their land. 
And then he talks about the nations, you see. And the Lord is now implying that his glory will also rest on all the nations. Again, it was not an afterthought that God is for all people beyond Israel. It's always been that plan. And then we're told the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, a light shined on them. Light can always dispel darkness. So at the time of Isaiah and for many years after, centuries after, people are walking in darkness and dwelling in living death. But the covenant God of Israel, and and the name Yahweh applies to this whole passage, he says they have seen a great light that has shined on them. This is speaking of a day future to Isaiah and even the returned remnant when the light of life will shine on all people. And we heard that very word from the Gospel of John. And then they say, and it's through the prophet Isaiah, thou meaning God have multiplied the nation, not thou have caused joy. They rejoice before thee as with joy in the harvest, as when men tremble with joy, tremble with God's joy to divide the splendor. What's going on here? When I saw that word not, I just began to think, what could possibly be going on? I had a a, a shadow of an understanding, but I turned to John Calvin's commentary, and I came to understand what's happening here. This is written about the remnant returning from captivity 200 years after Isaiah was given this prophecy. So... More people were in the land of God at this time after the captivity than when God spoke to Abraham about this promise. But their numbers were not as great as they had been under David. And more importantly, and I put it on the back of your bulletins if you're here with us this morning, there's a passage in Ezra when the new temple had been built. And there were people who were five, six, seven years old when the old temple was destroyed and they had seen it. And it didn't have the physical glory of the old temple. So they were both weeping and rejoicing. So relatively speaking, we're not going to have joy in what our hands make and what we do. But then the rest of the verse goes on talking about true joy, true rejoicing. Where does that come from? From the presence of God. God is declaring pure joy is always found in his presence before thee. They're rejoicing before thee with great joy, regardless of the circumstances. And that's the gift of knowing God and having God with us. And then the the, um, conclusion of the first half says there is joy because God has broken the burden of the rod oppressing his people, and because every boot trampling them will be burned. 
So we're told because the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, referring to the descendants of Israel, the rod of the one oppressing him, thou have scattered ass on the day of Midian. So still looking to the future, Isaiah is shown a day when Israel's covenant God will break all of the burdens that were put on Israel. And then Midian, don't miss this. This is one of my favorite stories in scripture. He's connecting this future deliverance from Messiah with the great past deliverance of his people from Midian by Gideon back in the days of the judges. Let me just remind you of this story. After Yahweh had reduced Gideon's army down to 300 men, only 300, he used Gideon and these 300 men to rout an army of 135,000 soldiers, Midianite soldiers. This happened despite 450 to one odds. Just do the long division. I've never heard of a long shot that big, 450 to one. But look at what God did. This is what he's promising with that one word, Midian. Because every boot of him treading and shaking and every garment rolled in blood has been burned as fuel for the fire. Again, this is poetry. But metaphorically, what is God saying? Israel's being told that whatever the enemy soldiers planned to use to oppress God's people, it will be burned, burned by God. What does this mean? Ultimately, God will give grace to his people. And now let's come to maybe two of the most famous verses of Isaiah. A child has been born to us who's been given eternal kingship. And then in John's gospel, the Savior emphatically said he's the light of life. So this passage from Isaiah wraps up with this summary of it. The eternal king has been called wonderful counselor, prince of peace to establish justice and righteousness. So here's what was given to Isaiah, because a child to us has been born. A son has been given to us, and it has been the government upon his shoulder. So God's people are now declaring that a son has been given to them. I don't think they fully understood it back then. But we now know this speaks of the Savior Jesus, the Son of Man, God in human flesh, given to reconcile humanity to God. And kingship, this is what this is speaking of. This given son is also the leader of all Governments, the king of everyone and everything. And his name has been called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, a fourfold compound name. This son is the amazing one who is continually counseling God's people. And he has all the might of God himself. And he is the eternal father. Also in John's gospel, he said, I and the father 
and won. So he can actually claim that title. And then he's the Prince of Shalom. Now, I've done sermons on Shalom before. It has seven meanings to it, but three of the most important are it's for our welfare, for our health, and for true prosperity as God defines prosperity. So all of this is gratitude-inspiring. And let us express grateful thanksgiving to God for his gift of his Messiah, anointed king, his son, who gives the amazing guidance and advice for living who is mighty to protect us in everything in our lives, who loves us with strong father love and who blesses us with his multifaceted peace. God's Messiah inspires grateful thanksgiving. And then to the increase of government and to peace is no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it in justice and in righteousness from now and until eternity. There's a lot going on here, but let's not miss this kingdom of justice and righteousness. God will establish through his Davidic Messiah, a kingdom of justice and righteousness. And remember, just last week, we heard God speak through his prophet Amos that these very same two qualities would roll down like a stream ever flowing. So let us gratefully thank God for the joy of being in his kingdom of justice and righteousness in Messiah Jesus through his love. It's all because of this love that God has for us. As sinful and ordinary as we can be. And and finally, the end of our Isaiah passage, the zeal of Yahweh of the armies. That's what Lord of hosts means. That will do this. God's gracious gift. Again, I said in the introduction, it's so much about God's grace. He's zealous for his people with grace and love and his gracious gifts to his people through the faith of the Messiah should inspire us to continual gratitude and thanksgiving. God's Messiah inspires Grateful Thanksgiving. Now let's go forward to our little excerpt from the Gospel of John, and we'll dig much deeper into this Gospel starting the last Sunday of Advent. But we can sum it up. The Savior spoke again, saying, The one following me may no way walk in darkness, but will have the light of, the li- the light of life. So let's just look at this short verse given through John. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying emphatically, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus' name means Savior, and he is saying with all the authority of God using the divine name that his eternal essence is light throughout the cosmos that he created with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And then he concludes with this promise, the one following me. In no way may walk in the darkness, but he will have the light of life. So followers of Jesus are not in darkness. He uses the strongest expression in human language to say that whoever is following him may never walk in darkness. And then we have light and life. Instead, followers of Jesus will have his light of life. There's a Christmas carol that I love so much. Light and life to all he brings. Let us give thanks that Messiah, King Jesus, delivers from the darkness of the shadow of death into his light and life. Light and life are in King Jesus on this Christ the King Sunday. Here's the bottom line of what we have seen this morning. Through faith in the birth, death, and resurrection of the Savior, Messiah, King Jesus, on our behalf, we can enjoy his amazing counsel, powerful strength, perfect Father's love and peace given from his princely position. How can we not thank him? How can we not thank him for his gracious gift? The returning remnant of Israel could not rejoice fully in their circumstances because they had not yet been given all of the glory that they had had in their past under David. But they were promised a future glory. And even now, as we wait, wait for and work towards the second coming of Jesus in our troubled times, let us be moved to grateful thanksgiving over what he has already done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he has promised to do for us at his return. God's Messiah inspires grateful thanksgiving. That's a deep dive. Let me sum up the story of what we've heard so far. Distressed Israel living in darkness has seen a great light and will rejoice because God has broken their burden. They say a son has been given to them and he has been given eternal kingship and he is the wonderful prince of peace. 700 years later, Jesus, the Messiah Savior, inspires grateful thanksgiving when he emphatically says, using the divine name to his followers, I am your light and your life. God's Messiah inspires grateful thanksgiving. <laughs>